You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Diabetes commonly affects the musculoskeletal system in a variety of ways. What do clinicians need to be aware of in treating people with diabetes? Joining us to discuss the effects of diabetes on the musculoskeletal system is rheumatologist in La Jolla, California, Dr. Rachel Kim. Dr. Kim, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So how does diabetes affect the musculoskeletal system and why do all these problems arise? I think it's important for healthcare providers to know that um, diabetes can affect the musculoskeletal system in a number of ways. Um, and musculoskeletal problems are quite common in people who have diabetes. Uh, some of those problems are unique to people with diabetes, and others are the same that are um, that are seen in their patients who don't have diabetes, but sometimes are more common in patients with diabetes. Um, it's important to to sort of just be aware of musculoskeletal complaints that might arise in your um, patients with diabetes, because oftentimes there are um, treatments that are not too drastic that can significantly improve their symptoms in their lives. So let's go to the hands, and I want to talk about the stiff hand, trigger finger. Dupuytren's contracture, and carpal tunnel. There's something called diabetic stiff hand syndrome that is actually unique to people with diabetes. This is also called limited mobility syndrome. And what um, patients or you might notice um, if you examine the hands is that the skin over the hands is sort of waxy, it feels tight, it's thickened. And um, this can sometimes be painful if, there's, um, if the circulation is affected or the nerves to the hand are affected. Um, and a good, way to, good and easy way to check for this on physical exam is, is something we call the prayer sign, where you ask the patients to put their hands together with their palms and um, the palmar surfaces of their fingers touching. And if someone has this stiff hand syndrome, you'll notice there's a gap between the fingers or even between the palms. They aren't able to completely oppose their hands. Um, so it's fairly easy to uh, look for and diagnose. The treatment for stiff hand syndrome is maintaining the best control of blood sugar that is possible and also uh, keep in mind to evaluate for other underlying causes that could cause similar symptoms um, such as pain and stiffness in the hands and namely that would be carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, let's talk about that next because carpal tunnel is one of those conditions that's very common and uh, does it occur more frequently in people with diabetes or is it just a coincidence? Well, it is, it is very common in people with diabetes. Uh, up as many as one in five people with diabetes may have carpal tunnel. Of course, you don't have to have diabetes to get carpal tunnel, um, but it is uh, certainly not uncommon. And as, as the listeners know, this uh, carpal tunnel is due to a compression of the median nerve as it passes through the wrist. And the, the typical or classic history is that the symptoms, um, which can be pain, tingling um, in the median nerve distribution, these are worsened by repetitive strain-type activities. Now, a lot of the conditions, it seems like, uh, are a relation to things swelling. So the canal gets small and the nerve gets impinged. Uh, we'll talk about trigger fingers, stiff hands. It, what does this have to do with glycosylation of proteins and tendons and ligaments? It is believed that the increase in glucose levels that is um, chronic in people with diabetes causes changes in collagen over time. Um, collagen is, of course, a very important uh, component of the musculoskeletal tissue. And um, over time, 
there are there's accumulation of these glycated end products, and it causes changes in the small vest, small blood vessels. There's glucose and protein accumulation. The lumen narrows, um, and the microvascular complications of diabetes um, are also thought to play a role in some of these musculoskeletal problems that affect diabetes. Well, let's talk about trigger fingers because I myself, as you know. Uh, have had three surgeries for trigger finger repair, and it looks like uh, I'm getting ready for a fourth. And, you know, I, I it, it is probably the most troublesome thing I've had living with diabetes, believe it or not. Trigger finger is flexor tenosynovitis. There's um, swelling and inflammation along the flexor uh, tendon of the finger. Uh, this is not unique to diabetes, but very common in diabetes. And so what typically happens is the patient, uh, the, once the finger is bent, they aren't able to straighten it very well, sometimes even having to use their other hand to uh, extend the finger, and this is often very painful. Um, sometimes you're, you're able to feel a bump at the base of the finger on the palmar side where the actual swelling um, is occurring. Now, initially, treatment can consist of, uh, of physical therapy, occupational therapy for the hands, and a trial of steroid injections. Um, and these may provide temporary relief, typically the first first injection will give more prolonged relief, and if a second or third are needed, they um, are effective for shorter periods of time. So if and when injection fails, then a hand surgeon performs a minor procedure where he releases the um, pulley with a simple incision, and so the flexor tendon can pass freely. Now, the other thing is is that when when I got injections, it really messed up my blood sugars for two to three days, fine. It hurt like hell, but I could put up with that. Uh, but in every single case, I eventually needed the surgery anyway. Uh, is that just an unusual experience, or is that what, what you find in your practice? No, I find that that is more the rule than the exception that, again, you know, the, the first injection will provide some long-term relief, but typically it does come back. Whether that's after one month or three months or six months may depend on the patient and if there are any activities that provoke what's going on, but typically I find that it ultimately um, does get sent to surgical um, treatment in most cases. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I am speaking with Dr. Rachel Kim. We are discussing the effects of diabetes on the musculoskeletal system, a very common problem. Now, let's go through the last problem of the hand, which is Dupuytren contractures. Now, I have it on both hands. Every time I see a doctor, they look at me and they say, how much do you drink? And, uh, you know, it's like being cursed. It's like someone with pancreatitis, uh, idiopathic versus alcohol-induced. Uh, tell our listeners what that looks like uh, and what can we do about it. Sure. So Dupuytren's contracture um, is a condition that affects the hands. And what happens is the, the fascia, the palmar fascia, becomes thickened, shortened, and fibrosed. And as a result, the fingers generally get pulled downward toward the palm. There are oftentimes bumps or nodules along the palm. Um, It's typically the fourth finger or the ring finger that gets pulled down first. Um, This can be painful, but uh, generally is not as painful as these other conditions we've we've talked about, such as trigger finger and carpal tunnel. Um, Treatment for this is a little bit more challenging in that... um, there's no definitive cure per se. In general, exercises um, of the hand, physical therapy, occupational therapy that um, stretch the, the palm and help improve or maintain range of motion, good blood, blood sugar control, and for severe cases, um, sometimes referral to a hand surgeon can be helpful. 
You know, Rachel, I have a patient uh, who who has it very badly, has refused surgery, and his ring finger and his uh, pinky have fibrosed down. So when you actually go to shake his hand, his two fingers are in the way. I mean, so I mean, that's an extreme case. But I, I think the important thing is that, you know, if you have a patient with that, uh, you know, get him to a good hand surgeon, you know, or, you know, or if you're in a small part of the country, a good orthopedic surgeon. Well, let's, let's go to the shoulder. That's the other problem that I've had. I had a frozen shoulder, also known as adhesive capsulitis, and this is incredibly common, and, and you certainly treat this much differently than a typical, uh, you know, rotator cuff injury. Shoulder problems are common in the population in general, and certainly frozen shoulder is, is one condition that in rheumatology we see a great deal of. Um, there are other shoulder problems, as you alluded to, that have to be differentiated, such as a rotator cuff tendonitis or rotator cuff tear. With frozen shoulder or adhesive capsulitis, what generally happens is, um, and we in most cases don't know why, is that the joint capsule um, surrounding the shoulder contracts sort of in a uniform way, and the result is that there's loss of range of motion in all directions, in all planes, and hence the name frozen shoulder, these people really can't move their shoulder much at all. Again, not well understood what causes this, but common in diabetes. People, um, up to one in five of people with diabetes can suffer from frozen shoulder. The good news, this is generally a self-limited condition and um, reversible. Treatment um, is sometimes, uh, well, it can be tailored depending on the severity of the loss of motion and the, the degree of pain that the patient is suffering. Initial uh, treatment generally consists of stretching and range of motion exercises, and this is very important. So early referral to physical therapy is one of the best things that you can do for a patient with frozen shoulder. Let me interrupt and say, when I got my frozen shoulder, I went to a physical therapist. She said it's one of the few conditions where you actually have to move it to it hurts, whereas other conditions, you know, you don't want to do something if it really hurts. And they, they actually offered me pain pills before my... Uh, range of motion exercises. Sure, right, so that you could um, move and do the range of motion exercises even though they were painful. So pain-relieving medications can be given as needed. Something else that's often tried either if it's um, not responding quickly or satisfactorily enough to therapy or if it's a little more severe, a steroid injection or sometimes even a saline injection um, can be done just to distend the capsule and hopefully restore some more room for the for the joint to move around, and then um, something that was done more in, more in the past, but uh, I guess I still occasionally hear about, is that they put the person under anesthesia and manipulate the shoulder. Um, it's a little bit more of a, uh, a crude-sounding approach, but sometimes that's effective, and also there can be arthroscopic release if uh, the more conservative non-surgical measures. Well, let's go to the last uh, issue, which is something that still occurs in clinical practice, is the Charcot joint. Uh, Charcot joint is a severe um, form of arthritis, a a very destructive arthritis. Unfortunately, it's not very common. Um, The Charcot joint is also referred to as a neuropathic joint. It occurs only in people who have underlying neuropathy associated with their diabetes. The peripheral neuropathy is a uh, requirement um, for Charcot joint to be present. Um, And it's believed that it's due to um, microtrauma that might be so small, the patient just doesn't even notice it. If you take an x-ray of the foot, there's a severe destructive arthritis. The normal um, contours and architecture of the foot are unrecognizable. Sometimes this is even apparent just to visual inspection on physical exam. You could see that um, the, the 
the structure of the foot or the ankle is clearly abnormal. Um, so the treatment of the charcoal joint, immobilization, is very important. And so this often consists of a, a cam walker um, to protect the joint from further inadvertent microtrauma and protect it from weight-bearing. Um, something encouraging more recently is that bisphosphonates um, intravenously may actually provide some, some help here. A uh, case series done with IV pomidronate done in people with charcoal joint along with immobilization um, has suggested significant improvement. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, rheumatologist in La Jolla, California, Dr. Rachel Kim. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients, that's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.